I remember the day I remembered an ex-partner had stranded me in Boston. It was years of relationship and a couple of kids later when my spouse and I were driving towards Saratoga and the entrance to I-90 made my stomach quiver. My throat got tight and hot. I got sick behind clenched teeth. I was sweating and tugging on my seatbelt. I suddenly felt the clothes against my skin. They were itchy. They were binding. My head sweat, my eyebrows sweat. I was dizzy. I rolled the window down frantically. And uh, the December air stung, but... It hurt the way December air hurts. Better the devil you know, you know? I had probably passed that exit a hundred times before, but that day, when I read Boston, my body remembered. Our trip to Boston, the, the ex and I, was the trip that somehow finally snapped me enough to realize uh, something wasn't right, right? I didn't end it after Boston. I wouldn't end it for another year. Maybe that's why it bothers me so. It's a signpost for what could have been. It's a signpost for all that did happen. Even though he hurt me long before that trip and long after, the day I remembered to remember, my body blamed all of it on Boston. I've been arrested in the time-space continuum since. I've, I've even worsened since the time we turned onto I-90 heading west toward Buffalo, not east toward you-know-who. I've had nightmares about that partner I've woken up thinking it was 2006 again. When my mind gets to Boston, I I arrest. I, I physically am stranded outside of Harpoon Brewery, just how he left me. I'm roaming brick-paved streets, trying to find my way back to the hotel, just how I did that day. And then I'm startled when he walks in the room telling me, eh, I knew you'd be fine. You're a human atlas. Your photographic memory would have guided you back. I never get past that scene. There's no memory, like not even a picture of the car ride back to Long Island. Buried in the final pages of her seminal text, uh, No Visible Bruises by Rachel Louise Snyder, she reports on the aftermath of domestic violence. This is what she writes. A brain that reacts to being under constant attack will continue to send danger signals. Increased levels of cortisol, adrenaline, and other stress hormones contributing to a vast constellation of physical mental health issues. Dissociation is one of the more common issues, but victims of chronic domestic violence can also have a wide and long-term range of problems, from the emotional to the physical. They may have long-term cognitive loss, memory problems, or sleep disorders. They suffer from inattention or irritability. Some researchers link a host of physical ailments to unresolved trauma, including fibromyalgia, and severe digestive issues. Snyder also reports in another book, The Body Keeps the Score, authored by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. They write, terror increases the need for attachment, even if the source of comfort is also the source of terror. This week begins another three-part series. I guess it's best called the aftermath of abusive-type relationships. 
My hope is that these stories reveal invisible forms of abuse, that they say or highlight even one thing you never knew you needed to hear. For me, those pages of NVB illuminated enough to see my way out of learned coping mechanisms uh, to heal. We'll begin with Megan. Megan's a social worker and a mother of two, and she was once married to a safe man. He was a good man, a provider. He was not violent, though there were red flags. But I don't think we even said things like red flags back then. Anyway, you'll hear about when Megan knew, though risky, it was healthier to leave, though she had little finances without him and a lost sense of self since him. You'll hear about the diagnosis that could have sidelined all she worked for. I'm humbled by her story of grit, of survival, ultimately of love that endures. Here's talented writer, compassionate thinker, and true warrior, my friend Megan. That wasn't supposed to happen, you're not at all. How are you, Heather? I am, I am moving along. <laughs> I am doing well and moving along. Was the last time we saw each other the Lord Huron concert? <gasps> oh my God, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Did you not realize I was going to, yeah. Like, I didn't realize that. Yep. It was like pre-COVID. It, it was so that was. You know, a, a, a different, you know, lifetime, right? <laughs> a different I, remember about that. I remember so much about that night, but I remember getting stuck in the at that train in Kingston <laughs> and it just kept going on and on and on. And I remember thinking, when is this going to end and what are they carrying? What is in those cargo cases? <laughs> I remember we were like in separate cars because we live so far apart now and and just like texting each other our disdain at this train yeah. and also our curiosity. Like, are we actually going to miss the concert yeah. perhaps? Like, is that even an option? Because <laughs> of the train in <laughs> Kingston. <laughs> oh man, we've, we've had some, some funny times we have. only to be trumped by how we met, which I think is like the weirdest story. We can Absolutely. go over that a little bit. So you went to high school with my husband, right? I did, though he yeah. was like super skater cool. Uh. And, um, <laughs> I was not. So he, we weren't in the same group, but I do remember he was always very nice. Aww. Well, he's, you know, he's a nice guy. I will give him that. A little weird, a little, you know, but. <laughs> so then I got to meet you because we bought your house. Yes, we were selling a house I much loved and I 
didn't want to sell, but it was time to sell. And I kept hoping and praying that the right family would buy it. And lo and behold, you and Scott bought it. Oh, I, you know, it's funny because Scott and I have a similar story with that house is like, I never wanted to sell that house. It, it was perfect. 1930, built in 1932, mm-hmm. you know, in the um, cute little south of Vassar College section of Poughkeepsie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was the dream, but we d- also didn't plan on having three humans like bop, bop, bop. So. <laughs> with one bathroom, with one very tiny bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't, you know, it was, it was time to say goodbye. But that's similar, like I, it was beloved. Like I never wanted to leave that house. I still think about that house. I mean, I love my house now, but I still think about that house. Same. It was like a neglected child and we, <sighs> and we just loved it. You did. Well, that's true because I have seen the pictures from when it was for sale for when you bought it. Yes. So we got to see like how you guys brought it back to life and then we got to reap all those benefits. (laughs) And then we like, you know, kicked it to the curb again, the poor thing. (laughs) But I drive by sometimes. It's looking really cute. And uh, the new lady is is taking good care of it. So, so why did you, uh, why did you guys move? Um, if you, if you love the house so much. We, uh, well, it had one bathroom. There was uh, no room to expand. And it was in a school district that as much as I wanted to stay, I uh, couldn't bring myself to, to remain in. Yeah. So we left um, for a larger house with more property and a better school district. And how was, how was family life then? Because I know we bonded not only from buying the house, but when I first had my twins and uh, you and I were talking and you recommended the same pediatrician because mm-hmm. I was experiencing uh, a colicky baby mm-hmm. and you told me, I'll never forget, you said, oh, do you see the fade marks in the, in the hardwood floors? That's from me pacing. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. by the time you you left the house, uh, your daughter was was you know clearly not a colicky infant anymore, but everyone was well and yes, and and, and it I it felt life was very good. I was yeah. a stay at home mom, which for me was a dream. I had worked full time up until my uh, pregnant with my daughter, and then I worked part time. And then when I became pregnant with my son, um, I had to go on bed rest because I went into preterm labor. And then Mm. I was fortunate enough to be able to stay home full time, which to me in this day and age was an extraordinary gift. And it was a decision my husband at the time um, is a decision we made together. And I knew it was going to be sacrifices because it's it's not easy to uh, have one income in this area. But, you know, we made sacrifices or and... um, so yes, we moved. We moved to our home now, and I, and I, I thought life seemed pretty, pretty good. I was yeah. uh, very involved in um, the kids' school. I volunteered. I, uh, I was. It was. It was a very good time. And was there like a certain turn all of a sudden that that things started to shift? Yes. Yes, I started suspecting something was off. When, uh, when my husband at the time and I um, kind of divided responsibilities because marriage is a partnership, mm-hmm. he was in banking. So I willingly let him be in charge of the finances. Right. And I 
was in charge of everything else. I didn't work outside the home. So I took care of the remainder of things. Yeah, yeah. And um, I started noticing some odd things occurring. Um, I started noticing, um, like I would get the mail. If it was a bill or anything, I would just hand it over to him. I figured he was the financial genius. I was not. He was in charge of investing (laughs) and balancing the checkbook. And and I made this decision to not get involved. It is um, something I do not recommend now. Yeah. So I just started noticing that there was like first notice and second notice bills, which I hadn't seen. Oh, uh, my husband oh, wow. at that time was um, saying he had a business to do, banking business or, or college friends to see in the city. And it, the trips started increasing. Oh. And I was choosing to be ignorant, truly believed him. Um, yeah. But he was in the city a lot. Yeah. And that's when um, things started to get a little fishy. Okay. Other than like those um, notices in the mail and and the fact that he was, you know, prolonging trips or taking trips that he hadn't prior, on the surface, how were things? Was he loving and involved or supportive or... I mean, I... Looking back... I could say no. At mm. that time, I would say, have said yes. Right. But right. I didn't really know what to compare it to except my own dad, which, uh. so. Um, <laughs> Touche. Same. You know how that is, right? <laughs> yes. So um, he was very, I knew he was struggling with headaches. I knew he had stuff going on. You know, he wasn't really happy with his job. So I guess I, um, I guess I was making a lot of excuses. So that's why I thought him going to the city and seeing a friend or he spent the night. He always had reasons, you know, why should I take the train? I might as well stay over. Ladies, if your husband needs to stay over in the city, (laughs) like red flag. (laughs) And what's so odd is I remember watching an Oprah episode years ago and she gave Uh, like red flags that your husband is cheating on you. Right, right. And they were frequent haircuts, new shoes, new underwear, exercising, and I forget the fifth thing. Wow. But he was doing all of those things. Wow. You know, from just knowing stories of some of my other friends that have been in a similar predicament, like the haircuts, the underwear mm-hmm. and the exercising, those all hit like the eyes. Like we, I have talked about this with other women. Um, and shoes, new shoes. Wow. Lots of shoes. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that is, oh my gosh. So you knew these things, but of course, in the moment of it, you're two kids deep now. You're exactly. You moved from a smaller house to a bigger. Yeah, you just exactly. I wasn't working. I and you don't want to. You don't want to face it. You know no. there there is there is truth where ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And the future, although healthier, mm-hmm. can feel anxiety provoking. Oh sure. So sometimes sure. remaining in something less healthy feel safer. Yeah. Well, cause the future is a mystery. Yes. You know, the, what do they say? That saying, uh, the better the devil, you know, right? Like it, yeah, it, it, correct. It's, it's 
terrifying to venture out. At, at yes. least you know the boundaries where the goalposts are, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, also you were out, you were a stay-at-home mom, which so many of us, financial has, has so much to do with it. Do you feel comfortable talking about how and when after these, you know, the adding up of these red flags, how and when it did come to an end? Oh, sure. So I had been seeing a a counselor, a therapist, and um, I was telling her these things and she was very gentle and Mm. she was very wonderful. And she said, Megan, you need to snoop. Mm. I said, snoop. Because it's time. It's yeah. time. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I went home from a session and he had his overnight bag that he left in the bathroom. Yeah. And I went through it and I didn't find anything except a box of hair color for men. And I'm like, right. he's dyeing his hair? Like, why would he dye his hair? Right. And I just, and I thought, well, this is strange because if he was dyeing his hair, why would he hide it? Yeah. Why yeah. would he, you know, why would he do it in the city? Right. Right. So then I thought, you know what? I need to know what he's doing in this city. Yeah. But he wasn't telling me. It was very vague. Yeah. So I had this idea that I was going to call our visa card and ask for, for the charges. Yeah. Yeah. The problem was I was an approved user. Which means everything was in his name. <gasps> oh. So that oh. also means two things. I am still responsible for charges. Right. But it's a security reason. Right. So but they but weren't you're willing not to- able to ask them. They're not willing. You were going to say, I'm sorry, I cut you off. They're not willing to tell you that information. Correct. Same thing with the bank. I was, um, I didn't have, I had, I was a joint on our accounts. Mm-hmm. So when, when things proceeded and I needed information that I wasn't able to get it because I was joint. I, so, um, you weren't the main, another hurdle. Well, you weren't hurdle. the main, uh, name. Correct. On the, yeah. Correct. You know, this is so, funny and I don't want to like accuse or, or this isn't to say or to accuse, you know, violence, but I remember listening to, I think, was it NPR or radio lab? I, I forget. A, a a special on the history of VAWA, the Violence Against Women's Act. Mm-hmm. And one of the most poignant moments in the episode was when these women were coming up to give testimony to these, mm-hmm. you know, to the Congress and all these people back in the, I don't know, 80s, I think, right? 70s mm-hmm. or 80s. And they're talking about how you can't just leave because you don't even have credit cards with your name. Like, because back then, like your husband had to be your co-signer, like, right? right? Like this is like, it felt very much like that. Yeah. And again, some of this is, is what I had chosen. I had chosen. Right. I had held my husband at that time on such a pedestal. Mm. And I really believed that I just, the idea of him, hurting me right and was just I, I would never have right right even considered it right so that, I called these yeah I'm sorry no I was gonna say that that was a um uh a like, possibility right that that he would financially it, it hurt safe. you like that on purpose yeah, it, like it felt he felt safe yeah. like I felt safe with him oh. so I called visa and I got some someone and they said I'm sorry we can't you know you're an approved user and the words left my mouth I said and I couldn't believe I said them. I said, I believe my husband is having an affair. 
and they wow. said, hold on. Oh. And I will never forget the woman who got on the phone with me. Oh. It must have been a manager, I, it, someone. And she said, you know, may I help you? I said, I need to know the charges that are taking place on my credit card. Yeah. I believe my husband is having an affair. Yeah. I am I am convinced to this day they use this recording in their training somewhere in Visa land. <laughs> And she goes, okay, let's, let's go over. And she went through the charges, you know, and there was my, you know, my price chopper, you know, and my coal, you know, couldn't get any more boring. And then she says, right. So then she says, there's a charge and she lists this name of something in the city. And she goes for $300. And I'm like, well, that's kind of high, but it's a city. And I'm like, you know, and she says, it's a bar and grill. And I'm like, well, that's a lot, but you know, yeah. again, it's a city. Things are very expensive. And right. then, again, this is back in several years ago. And then she goes to the same chart, same place for $2,000. Oh, 2000 Same place, same place, $2,500. And I went, what? Oh my God. And I, I said, I, you, there has to be a mistake. There has to be a mistake. And she goes, ma'am, I'm going to give you this address of this place. And oh, I want you to Google so it. nice. So I Googled it and I saw what this place was and where our money was going. And I'll never forget that feeling. Yeah. I remember it was Veterans Day mm-hmm. and it was one of those pouring rain, like cloudy, so cloudy, it's almost dark all day right, days. Right, right. And that's what my soul felt like. Oh. And that was it. That's when I learned. Yeah. And that began a very slow, painful horrible process of what was I going to do with this? Right. What was I going to do with this? I, I was clearly not the only woman in his life. Yeah. And the women in his life were very expensive. Yeah. And, and that was just the, that was just the beginning. Yeah. That was just the beginning of the, of the many, many secrets, the secret lifestyle. Oh, oh, more secrets came out. Oh, so many. Oh, so many. gosh. I, I, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, reveal any. I want, I want to think about um, bridging for people listening to this story, the fact that you were a stay-at-home mom. It, while, you know, you chose it, you loved it, um, you, you don't have, you know, you could, you were lucky to even get that manager to tell mm-hmm. you the address and to tell you the mm-hmm. charges. Is there a part of you that when you found this information out, you were like, well, I can't leave. I, I what would I do? Oh, absolutely. <sighs> absolutely. Yeah. I had worked in years. Yeah. I had, I had no, none of my own savings. We, and then we had no savings because everything was gone. Yeah. So he dipped, he dipped into, that wasn't like, you know, bonuses or, or no, gambling money. That was it his was, family's savings. It was his family. It was our savings, college accounts, Everything, oh, everything God. was gone. <sighs> I don't even know because when when we first emailed talking about possibly telling your story on on the show, even though it's so sensitive, and you had one of the things you wrote to me that that really stuck out. You told me that you felt as though everything about you was tied into either your ex husband or your kids. Like there was yes. no Megan. You didn't know who you were. Yes, um, correct. 
and and you didn't even know what your worth would be outside of him. Did those feelings like come up as this was all happening? Um, did, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to? Absolutely. I, re- I felt because he, I, he, I had made being a mom, yeah. being his wife, my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know who or what I was without that. Right. Right. And I believe that's one of the, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I decided to try to make it work. Okay. Even though it didn't work. So it was too completely overwhelming Mm. to start from scratch from nothing for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know who I was. I mean, I was a stay at home mom. I was his wife. And that was, that was all I thought I was capable of. Did you ever dream and and think about like, did you ever pursue your writing? I was blogging at that point and it was going well, but that was something else. Um, The blogging, I I lost my love for writing. I was blogging some, my ex-husband did not enjoy, didn't, I, I see now that there was a lot of issues going on with us right. at that time, obviously, right, right. but, um, my blogging, um, I did enjoy writing. Um, but even that kind of had lost, um, I ha- it, it just seemed to have like shriveled up oh, because of what was going on. Like you could, because of what was going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause of what was going on. Yeah. So you said you tried to make it work. Um, how, what, what? we went to marriage counseling. Okay. And the thing about making it work, when you have a spouse who cheats on you, Mm -hmm. you have to believe that they want it to work and you have to feel reassured. Right. And in hindsight, I never felt that. Right. And I guarantee, without a doubt, I wasn't easy to be at during that time either. I was so devastated, Mm. so angry. Yeah. So crushed right right that i am positive in many ways i wish not i'm sure always the wife he wanted to come home to okay yeah but also that safety mm-hmm. was gone right and i just didn't i didn't know what to do so it was yeah. like my identity was gone and we we went to marriage counseling we i set up i got a part time job um i was trying to to help figure out how to pay off because not only was our savings gone, it was insane amount of credit card debt oh, that was used. Yeah. So I was trying to help figure out how to pay that down. So I, it was just, it was a lot. It was, it yeah. was a lot. You know, at one point you said, um, you weren't certainly the, you know, the ideal wife to come home to after all that happened because you were so hurt and angry and devastated, right? It seems impossible to repair after an event so egregious you know not not a an oopsie or a yeah it it seems so egregious that of course your reactions and your feelings were valid and I appreciate what what you're saying by saying that like even if he did want to try again like how how could you because He's going to come home to the person that that is is absolutely crushed. Like this is not a person who's bubbly and um you know is asking want to watch Parks and Rec on Netflix. You know, <laughs> of of course it seems like insurmountable. 
Andy would have never have done this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Awesome sauce. It would never have done this. No, but you know, you make you you you're right because this was if this was not a one time right. oopsie. Right. This affair had been going on for a very long time. So yes, yeah. and it was um, multiple multiple events. So you you are right. Mm. You are right. And then while this was all going on, you made a discovery within yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about yes. that? Yes. About two years later, he uh, made the decision to return to his devastating ways. <sighs> and exactly around that time, I had discovered um, a lump in my breast, which I felt it. And I didn't think much about it because at that point I was realizing this was not going to work. He was not able to remain faithful and there was more debt. And this was just, this was just, I was delusional if I thought this was going to, to work. So, um, so you're more focused on that. You're like a lump. eh, I'm young. Yeah. I I joked around that it was, it was my stress. Right. I think you texted me that once. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have a stress tumor, like totally joking around. So about six weeks later, it was still there. And I thought, you know what? I really probably should have this checked because I'm, you know, I'm a single mom now. Yeah. God forbid that 0.1% chance this is anything. I can't leave my kids with him, I, yeah. I need to be there for them. Yeah. So yeah. I made an appointment with my primary and I went to see her. Oh, she sent me for, you know, ultrasound and mammogram. Okay. And I knew something was up when I had the ultrasound and they tell you to wait in the room. And then a doctor comes in and that's generally never a good thing. Right. right. And they said, um, what did, I don't, what did he say? He wanted me to see one of the breast specialists okay. next door, which is usually not protocol. Mm-hmm. So they sent me next door to their breast cancer section and set, yeah, section. And, um, one of their, uh, nurse practitioners, she was amazing, Sarah. She, uh, was saying how, what I had looked highly suspicious and they need to do a biopsy. And she started explaining all these things, but it still wasn't sinking in. So then they, she brought me out and she said to the receptionist, we need to get Megan in for a biopsy much sooner rather than later. And that's when I kind of knew. Ugh. That's kind of when I knew that things were not going to be good. Right. So I had my biopsy, I think two days later. Oh, wow. And she said, we'll, we'll call you by like within seven days. Okay. And I think I got a phone call another two days later. Yeah. It was very, very soon. Right. And she said it, it was cancer. How did she say it? She said, that's a good question. My gosh. Um, she said, Megan, I got the biopsy results and I'm so sorry to tell you this, but it is cancer. It's stage two, blah, 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 all this other stuff, which didn't even Could you really even register. That? Yeah. Could you even yeah. hear talking at that point? And I remember thinking, all right, you know what? I mean, at that point I was so absorbed in the divorce yeah. that it was like cancer Okay, what 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 next? Yeah, and even all the subsequent visits, it didn't even register mm-hmm. because I had no money. Yeah, I had friends bringing me groceries. Yeah, I had friends leaving money under my front door. Yeah, I mean, I had I had nothing. Right. 
Well, I just didn't say I had nothing. I, the amount of support I received, mm. um, was tremendous, but, um, I didn't even, it was just kind of like I was in, I was on autopilot. Right. Was your ex-husband out of the house by that point? Yes, he was. Okay. He was out of the house. Oh, that's a relief. I was like, mm-hmm. if the divorce isn't finalized and he was still living with you while this was happening, I, I was no, going to get he, sick. He, <laughs> no, he was, he was, he out, was of out of the house at that point. So how soon after did you start radiation, chemo? How did that all progress? Everything with breast cancer. Breast cancer is tricky. You open up one door and it's like a hallway with 20 other doors <laughs> and it's all these different decisions. And all It's it's, I had no idea yeah. it was so involved. Mm. So based upon the different tumors and based upon the different this and the, that, and the, there's so many choices and options because I technically, um, I mean, I was diagnosed a few days after my 40th birthday, yeah. but I had technically been, and they said the tumor had been there probably for a while. So I was in my thirties when I got right, cancer. Right. So they want, they wanted to treat it more aggressively. Okay. So I, chose to have a mastectomy. Um, And then I had, based on the biopsy results, it didn't go to my lymph nodes, but it infiltrated my, um, they call it, I forget the name of it, vascular infiltration or something. So there was a chance it had infiltrated into my my blood. So they, they, you know, they recommended I do chemo. Wow. Wow. So you had the mastectomy first and then, and then did chemo? And then chemotherapy. Yes. Um, and I'll never forget going to see, going to see my surgeon and I brought my friend, Stephanie and Stephanie had worked as a, a nursing assistant in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I remember he, the surgeon, breast surgeon is talking about removing my breast and what this will be like and blah, blah, blah. And she's just, she's just listening. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes, I need to ask you something. Is she going to be able to wipe her own ass? Just answer me this. When this is over, will she be able to wipe her own ass? Because she lives by herself. And I will never forget that. Oh, I love that. She brought a little, like, levity. Oh, yeah. She was like, we need, like, let's let's get down to the basics. <laughs> is it because she thought, like, the surgery so, like, you would just be written yes. and yeah, in so much knew. pain? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So much pain, yeah. So, um, did she stay with you for the surgery or was that just the meeting? That was just the meeting okay. for my, for my surgery. My mom, my mom stayed with me the first week and then my aunt stayed with me the second. Oh, then nice. during, um, chemotherapy, I had different people take me to chemotherapy treatments yeah. and I had, I had a lot, I had like my friend, Sarah, she would bring me to post-op visits. I it really, it took a village. Oh. It took a village to get me through this. That's amazing though. Like, I, 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 you know, I love all my friends. I think they're supportive and incredible people. I would never expect them to take me to chemotherapy. I'd be like, uh, you have your own kids and your own bullshit, you know, like, Oh no, they, uh, my friends dropped everything. Oh my they God. dropped it. I, I remember being so sick from chemo and opening my eyes one day in bed and my neighbor, um, was looking at me, Kelly. She was, and she had her, she had pulled my comforter down, and she goes, "I just did your laundry." Like that's the oh, type of that's that's how I got, and that's how you get through when you have someone in your life going through a hard time. And you don't know what to do. It's things like that. Yeah. It's it's showing up with a meal or 
I had a friend and I didn't know who it was for a while, but she, I had a friend and she wouldn't say who it was, but she would leave me these presents on my front step. Oh. And I, it would took me the longest time before I figured out who it was, oh. you know, <laughs> it was, it's just things like that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long did you have to do chemo for? I was supposed to do eight rounds. I did seven because I started to have some complications with it. And they said that seven was good enough. Okay. So I did, I did seven, I did seven rounds. So I had my first treatment after Thanksgiving or after Christmas. I don't remember. And my last one was in March. Mm. So it was from like this November, December-ish right. until March. It was every other week. Every other week. Um, how can you explain how it like works? I don't think I understand how. I, I to be honest, I'm not really sure either. I just know it targets certain cells and it kills them, and hopefully they're cancer cells. That's oh, the best I can do. No, oh my gosh, no! I don't expect you to know the medical. I mean, like you sit in a chair, like for. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. So I'm like, tell so, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They put me in a chair. They put me in a chair and they start an IV and the chemotherapy is kept in a fridge. So then it's the chemotherapy is freezing cold and then they start it. And then halfway through, you feel like you're going to die. And that's what it feels like. That sounds delightful. You know, after all you've been through. But when you're in it, you're in the room with all these other people Mm. going through and you start, it's like this hangout. It's like, oh, what are you in for? Lung cancer? What are you in for? You know? So you just start trading stories and you start trading, you know, and one guy's, you know, one guy hadn't even told his family. He, he had, he was, you know, back for another reoccurrence and he couldn't bear to tell his oh. wife and kids that it had come back. So he was, I don't know how he was able to do it without telling them, but yeah, yeah, you meet some really phenomenal people. Oh. And were, did uh, some of your friends come with you or were you sometimes alone or... Um, some of my friends came with me. Um, sometimes they would drop me off, you know, depending on their schedule. Mm-hmm. I was alone a few times mm-hmm. and, and other times I had friends there. Yeah. And what about the kids at this point? How old were they? Oh my goodness. Let me think. My son was, let me think about this. I'm sorry to ask you to do math. Ugh. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so bad. Oh, he was in second grade. Oh God. So young. And my daughter must have been in eighth or ninth yeah, grade. That's what I thought. Yep. That's eighth I or ninth thought. grade. Yeah. Ninth grade. Ninth grade. Yeah. She was in ninth grade. Ninth grade. So yes. So so um yeah, I, I even had help from my son's kindergarten teacher. He was he was in second grade then on chemo days she would come she would pick him up from school for me and help him with his homework. Oh my god. So it, it was just yeah, it was it was that's like incredible. That. Oh, you're, so you're going through chemo, you're doing all that. When you come home from chemo, you have kids coming home from school. You're still broken hearted or like yeah. wounded. Like how did you, <laughs> I don't, what kept you going? I, I cried a lot. Oh, I did. I cried a lot. I took one hour at a time. Yeah. I took, I, I got really angry at God Yeah. and then I made up and then I got really angry at God <laughs> and then I made up. <laughs> It was, it, I remember being sick from chemo and taking the dog out for a walk and it was snowing mm. and I was so sick. And I remember thinking, 
in hindsight, I'm, I'm wondering why I didn't make one of my kids take the dog out. But anyways, <laughs> I was outside with the dog. And I remember thinking, like, I can't get any lower. Like, <sighs> this this is rock bottom. Right. Just feeling so scared, yeah. you know, so, so scared. And I was remember looking at my house thinking, I'm not going to be able to keep this house. I'm not going to be able to keep them in this house. And, and, you know, it, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. When you're facing things that seem completely unmanageable, yeah. you literally have to take it one day at a time. You said at one point, one hour at a time. I think that's brilliant advice. One hour at a time. And then when you get through that hour, then you take the next hour. It almost sounds like back when um, your oldest had that extreme colic and and the throat. Oh, yeah. You know, you tread that dining room, living room combination. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you look at the clock and you say, okay, it's six. It's almost seven. The crying usually mm-hmm. stops by seven. Okay, we've got one more, yep. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it, how did it work with after the seventh round? I know you said you had complications and you were, uh, you know, sort of allowed to end there. Are you given a sort of cancer-free diagnosis? Are you given yes. a remission? Talk about that a little. They said I was cancer-free because they because it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes mm. and because I had... um the chemotherapy. So my doc, my surgeon or my oncologist said you are considered cancer free. Mm. So I had to wait six weeks and then I had two more phases of reconstruction. And then she said, you know, then my lawyer's like, well, you need to get a job because (laughs) you have no money. Right. So that's when I had to get a job, which was in and of itself another life lesson. So you just went through a devastating divorce especially mm-hmm. with all of how it happened, how it mm-hmm. wiped the bank accounts, how egregious his actions were. You had mentioned one of the things you loved about him was he made you feel safe. And that mm-hmm. biggest thing he took away, then you face cancer, mm-hmm. you do all that, and now you have to go get a job? Like, <laughs> To me, I know that sounds like maybe, like, I, I'm not trying to make a mountain of Mola. I'm trying to honor, like, why can't you just luxuriate on the couch for a few months? Like, this is, this is <laughs> bullshit. Like, this isn't fair. You had to, like, okay, I'm done with chemo. Let me put my pantsuit on, I guess. What, <laughs> what job did you, what job did you? I applied to so many. Ugh. And I have a master's in clinical social work, but I hadn't done social work in forever, like forever, forever. So I even started applying for jobs in social work. And I was told, lo and behold, back in 2015, you were supposed to start maintaining continuing education credits. So you are like several hundred behind. So I couldn't even get a social work job. So I had to, and continuing education credits are very expensive. Very expensive, especially in that field. Yes. So there was that. So one thing that did work out is, oh, and with social work, this is pre-pandemic, you have to go in person for a large majority. So one thing that worked out really well is I contacted my oncologist and they wrote a letter saying she's, you know, recovering from cancer. Can she do online study? And I got special permission. So 
I'm trying to bring my social work credits up to par so I can renew my state registration. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, right. I am trying to find a job. Right. And I needed something that would work with the kids' hours, like retail where I work at night wouldn't work. I wanted something semi-decent for my resume. So I interviewed at an insurance company. Yeah. I was under the impression in my kind of woozy state that it would be kind of like an office assistant, maybe helping some of the insurance brokers with, you know, make sales. Okay. I did not realize I was going to be doing telemarketing. Oh, God. <laughs> and it wasn't telemarketing to people's homes, right. but it was telemarketing to businesses. Oh, I don't know, which is worse. It's <laughs> we all have those really, really, really shitty jobs. That was mine. Oh, my God. You were Michael Scott with Bikram. (laughs) (laughs) It was so bad. It was so bad. I cannot, I cannot tell you how bad it was. Oh, my God. But you did it. I did it. You made your money and then. I did it. And then because of that job, you know, everything happens for a reason. And then because of that job, one of the brokers there, always very kind, always very respectful, really felt, you know, just just like you need to get out of this place. He he lured me to a social work job. He learned of once I got my registration and it got me out. So, I mean, everything, you know, everything happens for a reason. That is so sweet. I love that. It, it reminds me of like the way the village kind of came together and yes. left you the food on your doorstep yes. or the money under the doormat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Once again, you know, a community member of, of a coworker, a friend is like, wait a second, I, I can make a poll for her. Oh. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so things start changing. Yes, things start changing. And then what happens? Well, then, <laughs> so then this happened. So m- my mom had had begun working at the Vanderbilt Museum shop years ago. Mm-hmm. And she would always talk about Ranger Kevin. And Ranger Kevin was this, was this ranger. She worked with this park ranger. And she'd always have these crazy stories about him. And I don't mean crazy like bungee jumping, though. That's <laughs> totally something he would do. Kind of like, oh, Kevin is out fighting a forest fire in Montana. I'm so worried about him. Yeah. Oh, and Kevin just donated bone marrow to a 14-year-old boy. He's going to be on The View. And she would always have these these stories about Kevin. And Kevin just went to a, a concert by himself. And Kevin and she would always tell me these stories about Kevin. And Kevin was very playful. Mm-hmm. So she'd always take pictures of him on her phone and she'd show me pictures. And he always looked like someone... I would be friends with. He was just, he just, and he cared about my mom. Like he just seemed like a a nice, nice guy. Um, Kevin was always single. Mm -hmm. And um, then for a while he, he was married and then he was not married. So during this time, my mom was over one day and she goes, oh, Kevin and that awful woman are (laughs) finally (laughs) divorced. Oh, your mom's so like, sweet. Oh. She's like, awful woman. I know, I know. And she says that, right? For my mom to say that. I'm like, oh, oh. I'm like, excuse me. So then I go over and I grab my phone and I find him on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, hi. I message him. Hi, Kevin. Not sure if you know me, but 
I'm so-and-so's daughter and blah, blah, blah. So we start messaging and we probably messaged for six months before we went on our first date. Wow. Oh, it's like old-fashioned, except it on the internet. And every time I'm like, you know, this is it. He's not interested. You know, that this is, you know, I give up. Yeah. He would ding, I get a message from him. So it was, yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. So you started dating? We started dating. Yes. And I'll never forget because our first date was, it was in like September. We went apple picking, went out for ice cream. I mean, it's so all American. And then we went back to his house and we made an apple pie. My friend Lisa's like, really? You made an apple pie? But she's from Mississippi. So she has this kind of Southern. And so to this day, she still goes, how's apple pie? Apple pie. But yes, we did. We literally made an apple pie. (laughs) That's She'll text me, how's apple pie? Oh my God. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yes, we started dating and he proposed June of 2019, right? And we were married last December. Yeah. You had a cute little COVID wedding with masks and all. We did. It was very, very, (laughs) yep. It was very small. It snowed uh, many, many inches the day before. Mm -hmm. So he went and shoveled out a spot um, by the river before. And uh, it was very, very small and very easy and simple and lovely. Did you ever feel nervous getting back into the dating pool that you... Oh my God, yes. I I convinced myself I would never get married. I was never going to open up my heart and trust anyone. And I didn't think anyone would like me. My body has been changed. I mean, my uh, plastic reconstructive surgeon is considered one of the finest. I mean, he is, he's an artist Mm -hmm. and he did a phenomenal job. Nonetheless, it's it's still not like the original. So <laughs> the original. There's, there's a it's not like the original. So so it's you know there's there's a lot of, of you know insecurities yeah. and there is there's trust and um yeah it was it, it took a lot yeah. it, it took a lot yeah it took a lot but you know to love again is is you know you make yourself vulnerable and you learn to trust again right. yeah, it's it's putting yourself back right. out there but it's understanding that I'm able to do hard things. Oh, yes. And I think that's it. Thank you, Glennon, right? Uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And also, one of the hardest things for any of us that have dealt with traumas, especially ones that that, um, have to do with trust, right, Mm -hmm. is not putting that onus on each person that come, it's very easy to do. Each yeah. person that comes into your life, you mm-hmm. know, well, you know, I had an abusive relationship prior to my husband. So like there are days, even still to this day, if he touches me in a way in the kitchen that I wasn't prepared for, I, I, mm-hmm. I startle. I have like the, mm-hmm. like the, the moral yeah. reflex, like a, like an infant. Ugh. And while that's a, a more visceral or, or somatic, you know, response, Mm-hmm. We do that in a mental way too, right? We do that in a, oh, absolutely. he's going to hurt me also, or absolutely. they're going to hurt me also, or they're probably lying. Mm-hmm. In our logical brains, we know that everyone's different. They can't, like, mm-hmm. why would they be the same? But it's so hard to convince the heart what the mo- what the mind knows, Oh, absolutely. Right? 
And it, it took a lot. I mean, yeah. he he was, you know, he was very patient with me. I was very nervous yeah. with, you know, his phone. You know, if I saw him on his phone, oh, I would, you know, because yeah. that was something that, well, you know, my, yeah. yeah, my ex, you know, obviously. So it that was very, you know, now I don't even, it doesn't even cross my mind. Right, right. Um, the ability to go from a place of knowing what it feels like to have somebody take your safety away. Mm-hmm. To just being able to say like, oh, well, that wouldn't even cross my mind. It's like, not only a kudos to Kevin, sure. We can, we can, <laughs> we can write a love song to Kevin in, in this episode, but also mm-hmm. like a huge kudos to you, that ability to just understand and let yourself feel that way. Right. Cause we have to, yeah. we have to choose to feel that way. You could, you have, you know, you have to fight. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have to choose to feel that way and, and you have to tell yourself, uh, I can do this. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I'm in, I'm in awe well, of you. you. Thank do you. you. It took the love and support from every, I did not do this alone. Yeah. It took, you know, it took, I mean, I have so many, like, I remember, before all my surgeries, when I had no money, like I remember just going to Dunkin' Donuts and I had scrounged around like change and I was yeah. going to treat myself to a coffee and then a complete stranger in the car in front of me yeah. paid for my coffee. Oh. And I remember like uh, taking Darren to one of the high school football games and um, someone paid. I, I didn't have money. I didn't realize I had to pay to get into a high school football right. game. I thought it was free. <laughs> I mean, I pay enough in taxes. I didn't know I had to pay to get. I had to pay to get in to watch my, you know, my backyard football game, and I, I didn't have money. I had no money, and um, the woman, you know, paid in front of me paid and I'm thanking her profusely. And she's like, well, if you don't have $2, like, like you have to be like, like desolate not to have $2. Yeah. And I didn't have $2. Didn't I, have I had $2. all my, I had no money. Right. So it, and it was just like things like that. And I just will never forget that. I just will never forget being in need in, in a sense. Yeah, and yeah. when I had breast cancer, um, I was a recipient of Sparrow's Nest, which is huge. I was a recipient of Miles of Hope. They paid my heating bill, uh, one heating bill. And I remember going to um, the Miles of Hope, at least at that time, I had to go to an uh, organization off of Cannon Street in Poughkeepsie. Mm -hmm. And I remember it's the same organization that helps a lot of, um, you know, people who are homeless. And I remember sitting next to a man who clearly did not have a home. Right. And if you were to look at us, we couldn't have looked more different. Right. You know, I'm dressed decent. I had bathed that morning. I had an iPhone. Right. He did not have any of those things. Aww. But yet, the only difference was I happened to have a home. Right. You, you know, like right. we, our, our similarities were so close, Aww. but but you would never have thought that, right. you know, and we were, and we were talking about, oh, he was, oh, we were talking, he rode a bike. We we're talking about his bike. And mm-hmm. I just remember being so humbled, Yeah, you know, being like, you, you know, two months ago, I would never have thought I would, would have been in this position. Right. And then there you were. And then there I was. And now you're not. <laughs> and now I'm not. <laughs> uh, you did mention Sparrow's Nest because they are such yes. an incredible organization in our in our community. I, I would love it if um, I, I feel like it would it, we'd be remiss if we didn't say more about what they do. Do you mind um, just saying a little oh, bit about absolutely. them? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. they prov- yeah they provide meals for families. I, I'm not sure if I have this right. Families who have children, someone who's going through cancer who has children 18 and under. Right. 
I think I have that I right. So, so I yeah. didn't, uh, everyone kept telling me, reach out to Sparrow's Nest Street when I was diagnosed and I didn't want to because I felt like, well, I there's so many more people need it more than me. Mm-hmm. And then they reached out to me Wow! and they said, Yes, they said, we keep hearing your name. And then I remember I just broke down and I started oh. crying. And Oh, yeah, they were they were tremendous. Yeah. They were they provide enough meal. They provide two ginormous meals that have leftovers and they keep you fed yeah. and you don't have to worry about it. Oh, that's and months other things. They provide gift cards. They provided snacks for my kids. I mean, they just try to provide as much normalcy. That's incredible. This story, there's so much darkness and there's so much, you know, heartache, right? Um, mm-hmm. in, and and yet the, the main thread is really the village and the power of, yes. of people yep. giving. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I'm so glad you shared your story with us. Well, thank you for inviting me to. Yeah. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It was great talking to you. That was Megan and I entering the conversation about life after. Life after navigating hurtful loved ones. Life after cancer. Life after learning to love again. Special thanks to the Sparrow's Nest community for all the work you do for families facing cancer diagnoses. For more information about their cause or to donate, find them at sparrowsnestcharity.org. Thank you to Megan for detailing some hard truths about your life. And thank you to Megan's new hubby, Kevin, for raising up our girl. That Wasn't Supposed to Happen is produced by Doug Wartell at Spillway Street Studio here in Red Hook, New York. Artwork by Natalie Ranganeshi. Hosted by me, Heather Delamore. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, please reach out to us at supposedtohappenshow at gmail.com. I'll never say anything happens for a reason, but it is reason enough to talk about it. Street.